can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that thinks a Chihuahua is a paranormal state in Mexico just infested with tiny flying dogs. <laughs> what the hell was that? Well, I don't know. It was a damn Chihuahua flying by your head is what it was. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's got the magic ninja foo going. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? That's right. I don't. Do you? I'm working on it. I'm uh, working okay. on it. Okay. You show me that when you get it. I will. <laughs> So we got a great episode for you today. Uh, this is High Out Podcast number seventeen. Damn. Yep. Recorded hey, speaking of September twenty third. That's Shirchi. What's that? That's Shirchi in, in in Chinese, right? Shirchi. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there you have a little chi for you. There you go. There you More go. chi. It's going to be a chi filled podcast because we have a great interview tonight. Uh, our interview is with uh, Evan Bernstein from the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I'm sure Hi-ya. some of you have heard of that podcast out there. He's a Krav Maga stylist and teacher and also a well known skeptic. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I think it'll be a lot of fun. What about you, Craig? I do think so. <laughs> okay. I do think so. And we're going to have a little news after that to wrap it up. And that'll probably be all you get this week. Poor you. Aww. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think there's any need to beat the bush here. Do you have anything we need to get out of the way at the front of the show, Craig? No, I think we're all good. Just a little more cheap, more power. Train harder. That's right. <laughs> okay, well, we're slipping off to the Champagne's Lounge to beat our heads against the wall, but we'll be right back for our interview with Evan Bernstein. Hitters, we're back with our interview tonight. Evan Bernstein from the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. Say hi, Evan. Hi, how's everyone tonight? <laughs> we're feeling pretty good over here, uh, and we're really glad to have you on. And before we get into the heavy questioning, uh, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm just going to gush about your podcast for a second. Oh, by all means, Let yeah, be quiet <laughs> so you can. You don't find that offensive, do you? Offensive. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the descriptor I would give it. No, I, this is one of my all-time favorite podcasts. I've been listening to it for oh, six-plus years now. And i got to tell you, very few other podcasts have done something for me like this. I was a skeptic and did not really know what that was exactly or that I even really was one until your podcast. And so i, I got to thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. It sort of changed my life. 
Wow, David. Well, that, thank you for saying that. And, uh, you know, there are others who have expressed the same sentiments to us, that they were sort of lost with their own thoughts, as it were, and not really having something to identify with or realize that there were other people out there who thought similarly to them. And then, you know, we kind of act as this gateway for a lot of people, especially in the internet community, to um, figure out that, yes, there is a skeptical movement uh, out there, a very robust one, one that's been active. Uh, the modern skeptical movement, boy, is in its fourth decade now, I mean, since the 1970s. So we're happy to help bring people uh, into uh, this, this ever-growing arena of, uh, of friends and like-minded people. Yeah, and uh, you know, as much of an upward slog as I'm sure it can seem at times, please keep it up because I, I think you guys are making real headway over there. Yeah, well, thank you. We are, and uh, you know, we have a very loyal audience, and it does continue to grow uh, every year. More and more listeners, and we get more and more exposure around the world. So, yes, we are going to continue it uh, for for as long as the listeners will allow. Will indulge us. <laughs> yeah, Sweet. and folks out in High Island, uh, if you don't know what a skeptic is or don't consider yourself one, this is a this is a great podcast to give a shot anyway because. Every week, you come back with new information about scientific discoveries and, you know, the stuff that makes life wonderful. And uh, uh, even if you don't know you're a skeptic or aren't one, I think you could find something in there to appreciate. Yeah, let me let me also cap it with this, that um, it's, it's applicable to many, many aspects of life, which is why we talk about so many different subjects on the show. So I think anybody who listens will find a kernel, at least something in there that they can attach to, that they can identify with. and realize that uh yeah there are there are different ways of looking at things in the world just uh, taking a little bit of a skeptical approach can go a long way yeah yes indeed i was just talking to dave about that before we started rec uh recording here uh was that very idea of just the mere act of having intellectual curiosity and questioning you know uh, just about anything that might be shady in your life uh it's it, there's no uh, bad things there, you know. And martial arts is no no, no exception. No. It, it, it's a, it, skepticism is a wonderful tool to apply to martial arts and many many different aspects of it, especially even just finding a teacher, you know. <laughs> yep. Oh, we run all the kids and, and and our wives out of the house, and the dog decides to get in on the podcast. <laughs> That's okay. He's he's a regular by now. Um, yeah. So let's uh, you know one of the things that I've heard some complaining about you don't get to talk about quite often enough on the Skeptics Guide, uh, especially for you, is athletics in general and martial arts in particular. So why don't we do a little of that? Yeah. Well, you know, martial arts uh, plays a very uh, big part of my life, you know, certainly the skepticism does, but I am also a martial artist in that I train in Krav Maga, mm. which is the Israeli Defense Force fighting and self-protection system. And it is taught all over the world to, well, all sorts of people, both of ordinary walks of life and professional professionals who have to have military training and, and fighting skills as part of their job, such as Secret Service agents, such as, you know, FBI agents and uh, policemen uh, in all over the world, literally, this system is taught. It is, uh, well, just that. It's a self-defense and fighting system that um, allows you to protect yourself in very close quarter situations. You know, when you have people, you know, coming up to you on the street and you don't know exactly what they're going to do, you can how to look and see if, you know, they may have a weapon, how to properly defend yourself against people who are, um, who are carrying weapons, who have other things as threats and how to, uh, you know, basically street combat, how to 
get out of bad situations that you mm. have absolutely no control over that is otherwise thrust upon you and you need to just fight for your life to get out of there. Right. So it's not so much about how pretty your form is. <laughs> yeah. And forms and right. And, uh, and arts and the seven movements of the mantis. No, not, not quite. <laughs> Those things don't exactly uh, come into play with Krav Maga. Um, the, you know, the idea is to neutralize other people attacking you, you know, bad people, real life encounters on the streets. You're at the ATM at night, you know, dark out. How to have a certain level of awareness about you so that you don't become, you know, a, a victim. But if you do happen to become a victim in certain situations that, again, you have absolutely no control over, you can go home. You can survive the night, whereas there are lots of people out there who have very bad nights having to deal with things such oh, as that. Yeah. So it's a very, very practical yeah. self-defense system. Well, you know, uh, uh, Krav Maga is definitely up and coming with the general public, too. So let's let's dig into this art a little bit deeper while we're on the subject. Um what uh, what can you tell us about its origins? It's fascinating uh, origins as far as exactly how this um, all came about. Uh, it is a modern martial art I, in the context of other martial arts. There have been other, obviously, martial arts, and I know you've talked about them on your show, which have you know hundreds, if not thousands, of years of history steeped in them. Yeah, but but the Israeli defense fighting system stems out of the 20th century, and not just the 20th century. Um, Eastern European, late 1920s and early 1930s, um, uh, a part of the 20th century. You know, with the rise of Nazism and what was going on in Europe at that time. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Imrich Lichtenfeld. Um, known as Emi to his friends, Emi Lichtenfeld. He was an athlete who um, was from Hungary, and he took it upon himself basically to – well, he learned wrestling. He learned um, forms of judo. He learned how to box. Uh, he's basically just this natural athlete who had a who had a really good sense of these sorts of skills. And as things kind of went, well, for lack of a better term, downhill for the Jews in, in Europe at that time, yeah. and certain things such as the Nuremberg Laws, which in 1936 basically removed all prote all legal protections for Jewish people in the country of Germany, which meant that people could go around and they could beat up Jews at their will and not suffer any penalties. Destroy their property and everything so, else. Yeah. So by necessity, uh, Emi and his and his friends, and this took, and, and it started to spread throughout all of Eastern Europe, Hungary and, and Slovakia and other, Czechoslovakia and other areas, Austria as well. He sort of took it upon himself, he and his friends and his other people who he would train with to kind of go out and like, be this sort of protector of the of the Jews, and he learned a lot fighting in the streets against these kind of gangs that would go around and hunting them. But it even got it got so bad, it got it got so bad that you know Emi and the others, everyone kind of had to really flee for their lives. And there are many stories to be told about the boats that would carry the last amounts of Jews that could get out of Germany and other places in Europe in like 1940 and 1941. They would pack these boats, you know, that you'd basically be able to have 200 people safely on with 2,000 people. You know, <laughs> these these really awful old boats and barely seaworthy. Well, he got onto one of these boats, Emi did, and a, few of, and a few of his friends. And it's a real perilous journey and voyage that they took actually on this boat in escape of the, of the Nazi regime, in which um, he eventually does manage to um, find safe harbor 
in Egypt of all places, and went ahead and joined up with the uh, the British, the British Army, who was you know certainly fighting uh, against uh, against Germany in the Axis at that time, and he sort of became a specialist in a sense for them of this hand to hand training combat, the stuff that he learned in the streets of Eastern Europe, you know, protecting himself against the anti Semites and the Nazis and others who were attacking him and his friends. He so did eventually. He did uh, eventually find his way. Sure, go ahead. Uh, no, sorry to interrupt, but uh, so he he basically put a combination of of established skills like boxing and wrestling together with with the practical uh, necessities of the circumstances there. That's right. Uh, okay. Just yeah, he sure used he used those as a basis, right, uh, for for his training. And was able to, you know, apply it to, you know, well, what happens when you do get jumped by twelve people in the in the street at night, and you know, Fire you know, it's, it 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 goes from being what was a sport, right? Yes, and a, and, and an athletic situation to a real life survival situation. Well, that's what's These fascinating are, me about it is uh, kind of rebuilding a, a, a deadly, if you want to say, or, or a, an actual violent martial art out of mm-hmm. what wow, has already itself. been that and then condensed down into a sport art and then back. You see what I'm saying? That's right. Cool. Absolutely. Well, don't let and me when you, finish your story, though, please. I'm yeah, just, no, it's it's pretty chair. much near the end. I was going to say that you know when he was done with his time uh, serving alongside the Brits in, uh, in World War II, he went on to Israel and uh, helped and was one of the, I wouldn't say founders of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, but they brought him on as a specialist in hand-to-hand training. And he basically therein had the ability to really refine this technique and not just um, have a system that he could train to other military personnel in the state of Israel, which which was a new country, of course, at the time, and also had a lot of its own problems. And, you know, countries went to war with it right away when it was declared a country, so it was a really bad time. But he also wanted to train the citizenry. He also wanted to teach people um, the everyday person, you know, to protect themselves, you know, from having to walk down, you know, the streets of Jerusalem or wherever else that they had to go. So when he was done with his time in the Israeli army, he turned his focus and attention to that. And that's where Krav Maga was essentially born out of and be- kind of became official at that point. And this was in the early 1960s, became known as Krav Maga and uh, really started to get an international reputation in the 1970s when it was proven, you know, with all these decades of, uh, of, of sort of evidence and um, stories and other people being able to uh, go around and help train in this technique to find out, yeah, this, this really works. Um, and, you know, with certain refinements and they do, you know, make little tweaks now and again, certainly over time uh, in order to help refine the art. It is a modern, uh, practical uh, self-defense system which was born out of uh, modern real techniques as opposed to something that's more steeped in antiquity. Right. Uh, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily bad with the, uh, with the latter of those two, um, but I find there's something um, genuine and something I think we can appreciate as 20th and 21st century people being something we can really sink our teeth into and latch on to and have an, a better appreciation for. Nice. Well, you know, on, on that topic, uh, it's fun. There's a fuzzy line there because, like, uh, for instance, I teach Bagua Zhang, which is considered a very traditional Chinese martial arts system, but it's only a hundred years older than what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it was developed for bodyguards and caravan guards. So, you know, it's, I think they might have a lot in common on some level because it's more about dealing with a crowd of people and busting a hole in it than it is about taking one individual down and wrestling them or, you know, it's 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 not a battlefield oriented thing. It's it's more right. of a, you're cornered in an alley with your family. How do you get out? Exactly, exactly. No, you're right. That system does seem to, to uh, parallel 
uh, many of the aspects that Krav Maga and certainly other martial arts, yeah, absolutely, uh, also, also you know take out there. There are there are different flavors of martial arts. Uh, not this is not for everyone. Krav Maga in, in particular, you know, there's a certain level of. Well, I'm sure it is true with all martial arts. Krav Maga is the only one I've ever participated in, and I got into it. You know. Um, only a few years ago. So I went most of my life without knowing any martial arts. Um, But uh, basically from, from my understanding and from speaking to other people who have trained in other martial arts as well uh, is that they, they seem to get something out of Krav Maga that I think they felt was lacking in some of the other martial arts. Um, uh, Some of the more traditional, you know, Kung Fu and even, uh, um, you know, uh, Tang Sudo and uh, Tai Chi. Well, Tai Chi, I'm not sure what you call that, if, that, if you even really call that. But uh, you, 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 get, you get what I'm saying. I it, do. It kind, of, yeah. it, kind of fills, it kind of helps fill a gap that some of the other uh, perhaps more popular and more traditional martial arts yeah. uh, haven't filled in their life. So I think, I think part of the problem is some of the more popular martial arts had very realistic goals of their own at the beginning. But when it came to the modern age to popularize, to get the maximum number of students in the door or whatever – that you, uh, you know, you wind up with a large number of schools that are not, you know, that might not scratch that itch if people are looking for real self-defense as opposed to just cultivation and exercise and that sort of thing. But you find any teacher in any of those arts that still has their thumb on that pulse of what the martial art is about. And, you know, I've, I've had the occasional Tai Chi guy that could clean my clock. Sure. But they're one in a hundred or even a thousand maybe if you're talking Tai Chi because it's so popular. Sure, and given a certain cir- circumstances and situations, I don't know. How, I, I, again, I've never taken the other martial arts, but I'm not sure how many of these other martial arts have to deal with multiple attack scenario, uh, scenarios. Now, I've seen video of certain things that I finally am, frankly, am skeptical about, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in which these uh, masters and you know these uh, old, old, certainly older men who have. <laughs> studied their discipline a really long time, seem to be able to magically, in a sense, sort of throw their students around as if, you know, they're barely touching them. And I, I, think, <laughs> you know, I, I think when I see things like that, I, I you can't help but, but you know, have your skeptical alarms go off yeah. and wonder what's really going on in situations like that. Not all, again, I'm not trying to paint any broad strokes or paint any one art, you know, in a negative light no, over another. No. There's yeah. good aspects and bad aspects of, of them all. But there are some things and some things that get pretty popular on, on YouTube and other places in which, you know, you see millions of hits and stuff. And I'm looking and I'm saying, wow, there's nothing going on here. And really, <laughs> a lot of people are kind of falling for this. And that's unfortunate. Falling literally. We'll get into the empty force and stuff here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's work it that way. Um, so, but before we leave this topic, so this really is your first martial art. It is. And I got into it um, as a means initially of uh, getting back into better shape. You know, I was uh, what I consider, you know, severely overweight, if not obese. And I wanted something um, to do in my late 30s. You know, I'm like, well, here I come into my 40s. I don't mean to be having a midlife crisis or anything, but I really got to get this under control. And um, it was um, my, my daughter started taking um, Krav classes when she was uh, four. She just turned five, actually five years old. Um, she's nine now, and uh, the studio was right across. We're walking distance from my house to our to the studio, 
So she started taking uh, classes and I went and I saw a few classes and, you know, certainly he works with adults as well. I sat in for a couple of adult classes. I just liked what I saw and I realized, wow, they're working hard out there. They are building up a sweat in like 10 minutes. I think this could be good for me. Yeah. And I went in and I started and I, and I did it. And uh, yeah, it just turned out to be a good fit for me. And uh, now you're working your way into teaching, aren't you? Uh, yeah, actually, no, I, I have been teaching. Um and uh, it's been it's been a great great experience that the instructor the head instructor at the studio has uh basically entrusted me with the ability to you know teach some of the more basic things to uh to some of the students there you know the students who need help with with, with certain things i'm very proud that he uh has kind of singled me out in that regard one of a few people who he has given that responsibility to to uh, help out with the others and the kids uh, as well, because I, you know, I have a nine-year-old daughter, and she's like I said, she's been taking these classes for four years now, and she's still sticking with it and everything. And we have a good relationship. Um, she's not like, oh, dad, now well. you're teaching me. <laughs> no, not at all, not <laughs> okay. at all. And uh, it, it, it's great. It's great to be able to uh, to help other people in this regards as well. Because hey, look, I was there once first. You know, for everyone starts day one at some point, and you, you don't know everything, but. Um, being able to help people feel comfortable in their very first day there and people come up to me afterwards and say, wow, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to work with me in this class. I feel much better about myself. That's very rewarding to me. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, let me, let me drag this past you. Okay. Uh, this doesn't seem like after hearing your description of, of the martial arts that you're doing now, it doesn't seem like something that you probably have to deal with very often, but in traditional martial arts, uh, it's something that just plagues me now. Um, if you're a skeptic and open about it, then a lot of the people that are coming to you to learn can be incredibly disappointed. Because if you're teaching something that's a traditional Chinese or Japanese or whatever art, uh, a lot of people come into that with this idea of he's going to teach me magic. He's going to teach me chi, transcendence, you know, something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, before when I just kind of kept quiet about it, uh, it wasn't that much of an issue, but, uh, but nowadays or, you know, over the last little while, I think I'm learning to manage it better, but, uh, it's been a real problem between myself and students sometimes. I mean, have you run into any issues like that? I, I have, um, but I feel fortunate that, um, I, I found a, I found a discipline I found Krav Maga does not have too much of those things that, that you're talking about. Reliance on chi, energy fields, too much of the, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say this in a, a totally negative way because mind over matter is a real phenomenon. And we, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more and mention the placebos and, and those sorts of things. Right. But at the same time, there are some places, uh, some people who promote that stuff too much. They make too much out of it. Oh, yeah. They go be, they go beyond what is really capable in people and it becomes a sell job at a certain point <laughs> rather than uh rather than something you know well legitimate as as, as right. far as i'm concerned and yes you're right the level of disappointment in in certain people absolutely uh they will no they will no doubt uh ex experience that at some point uh there you're you're bound to disappoint people if you go in with these sorts of realistic um, assumptions <laughs> <laughs> or, but it's yeah. important to be honest with with, with people about the disciple you're in and, and exactly what it is you're offering. Look, some people want that. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, talk to the instructor, talk to the owner of the dojo, talk to the owner of the school 
uh, about those things if those are things that you're interested in. And it's important to kind of have that conversation early on and up front rather than getting into something and then realizing, oh, wait, this isn't, exa- isn't exactly what I wanted. With Krav Maga, I never had that sensation that anything like that was a was occurring and certainly it was not part of the broader discussion that we had that I had initially um, with uh, with my chief instructor uh, when we were first talking about these things but at one point it did come up in class and he was talking about um, energy and the center chakras of the body and it only happened once in my four years there and I remember it vividly. It was a Saturday morning class, and I was there with a, with a few other people. And it came up because one of the students wanted to learn about it. So he went through some exercises in which you're able to basically essentially root yourself to the ground because you think of yourself as a tree, mind over matter, and think of your chakras in perfect alignment in the center of your body. Right. And you are now a tree, and your feet are rooted to the ground. Nobody can pick you up, right, and throw you and, and throw you down, sort of this pseudo, you know, little jujitsu almost – uh, exercise that, that we were doing. And I spoke to him about it afterwards. And I, I tried not to be uh, critical of him, certainly, because I because I respect him a great deal. Mm-hmm. But um, I certainly did let him know how I felt that that aspect of it, um, that I've loved everything up to that point, and that this aspect of it, I'm not sure, is really beneficial or being helpful to the other students. Well, he hasn't brought it back up since. And he hasn't, you know, he steered he effectively after that one class only, and then he steered away from it, at least as far as my time there. I've never seen him uh, reference it again, and I've never heard the students bring it up again that he, that he went in that direction. So talking about these things can have uh, an impact, certainly. Yes. Uh, if I, I felt if I didn't express myself, I don't know, maybe he would have gone on every Saturday going ahead and, and continuing to, te- to ran teach. Ran with it, yeah. Things like <laughs> things like that. So, so um, I'm fortunate in that Krav... Uh, Maga seems to um, that seems to be more the exception of Krav Maga rather than the regular occurrence, right? And part of it's not you know if you present that very same thing as simply a visualization exercise and uh, you know by focusing and having these ideas in your head what you're doing is lowering your center of gravity you mm-hmm. know that sort of thing if if you can couch it. Like I try to, you know, when people ask me about chi now, I I don't just say, oh, it's bullshit anymore. Uh, (laughs) I say it's a pre-scientific paradigm. And in martial arts, it is, you know, chi means air in Chinese, okay? Right. And and qigong (laughs) is breath work. And yes, breathing is very important for any Mm -hmm. athletic endeavor. And, you know, the meditations that you can do as a martial artist can really help you in a fight if you prepare your mind, you know, and sort of learn to get your conscious mind out of the way quickly so you can react better. Uh, that sort of thing without really trying to stomp all over the idea anymore, because, you know, it, it, there's I think there still is some some baby in the bathwater there. It's just it, it's just hard to parse it for people. Yeah, it's clouded with a lot of metaphors. I mean, especially in the Chinese martial arts, you have just a lot of poetic language. And too all too often you get people that take this completely literate, you know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, if it's real Kung Fu, then it's like the movies flying through the trees and whatnot. And it's no, no, you need to maybe go on over to the local uh, frou-frou school or something. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You guys, you guys hit on it, definitely, in that you're, you're right. Um, how it is couched and how is it explained to people is, is very important. I think people have a preconception of a term like energy right. um, in which they feel – a certain level of mysticism, spirituality associated with a word like that, for for whatever reason, that that's sort of ubiquitous in certainly American culture, uh, and I imagine in other cultures throughout throughout the world, this is this is very similar. That that 
Um, but when we talk about energy uh, in the sense of you know a martial art, like you were talking about certain patterns of breathing and how to focus and concentrate on certain things, right? Though that's the terminology that we really should be uh, using, as opposed to something which has multiple meanings, like energy is sort of a catch-all yeah. for a, for a lot of different things, and people can can insert a lot of different ideas into that term alone, oh, yeah. ener- energy, mm-hmm. and uh, they will sort of get carried away on this mystical. Uh, magic carpet ride <laughs> in, in a sense and start and start to you know and really apply it incorrectly to a lot of other aspects um, of their life energy healing you know and energy right. transference and there's so many different different terms but you're right how it is presented in martial arts is pretty important uh, well I'm gonna press on being a skeptical martial artist I, I've, I've got this <laughs> this little quote from you I read a while back that I treasure it's if you can turn your practical sort of everyday either job or experience into a tangible functioning means of promoting skepticism you know do that so I'm gonna try Evan I'm gonna try there you go <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know Craig I've been pretty much dominating conversation so far anything you want to get in here um, well, the qu- main question I was going to have, unfortunately, you already tackled, you know, which was prior experience, uh, I guess, prior to Krav Maga or Krav Maga. Um, but one uh, very specific, uh, style question I have for you, I guess, is how, uh, you know, since it's a very practical art and, um, you, you work, I guess, on two man, uh, partner drills and whatnot, mm-hmm. is, is there, do you have um, levels of, of power, I guess, that you pull your punches, whatever? Another, what I'm trying to get to is, is there a step beyond like two-step applications into perhaps more of a sparring or more of a, uh, you know, putting the Yeah, putting are there the any kind of free fighting drills or, or anything of that nature beyond just, uh, you know, two-man uh, partner work? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We work all sorts of scenarios and all sorts – of tactics we work with you know certainly there's the one-on-one exchanges but multiple attack scenarios Mm. are very popular in our studio and i find those to be the most challenging certainly and most difficult of of situations to 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 fight to fight your way out of because you know let's face it you don't get to again you don't get to choose the situation you find yourself in you could be walking through the mall one day um and all of a sudden, chaos will erupt all around you. And you're there with your wife and you're there with your daughter. And my gosh, how the hell are you going to get out of this when 30 teenagers <laughs> have right. started a brawl in the food court you know, at the mall? We, we work on a lot of different scenarios that do involve you know, multiple people. And we try to also simulate certain things in which uh, you know, people find themselves in everyday situations. Home invasion hmm. uh, is, is one of the uh, – one of our main focuses, um, being from Cheshire, and I'm not sure how many of your listeners know about this. I won't delve too much into this history, but a little bit of the reason why this particular Krav Maga studio started was in 2007. Was in 2007 in Cheshire, Connecticut, which is the town I live in. There was the uh, the, uh, the the abduction and murder of, of three people here in town. Uh, uh, Dr. Pettit, his wife and his two daughters were abducted and, you know, viciously murdered and ultimately burned to death in their house after the, you know, the people who did this, you know, left mm. the house and, and lit it on fire. Um, it was just an awful national, national story. Right. Um, that garnished a lot of attention. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if some people out there know about this. And this was, and the owner, the instructor of the studio who lives here in town said, you know, I wanted to do something. I wanted to make a difference. 
opened up the studio. So home invasion, coming back to that, is one of the scenarios we work on. We simulate um, situations in which you wake up, you are in bed, somebody is on top of you. All right. <laughs> time, so, yeah. to time to react. What What is it you're going to do? Now, we have scenarios in which um, someone has a, uh, a gun pointed towards in, has invaded your house and they have a gun pointed towards you and your daughter's room is off to the right of the shooter over there. How do you deal with nice. that particular si- situation? We really do try to recreate um, these types of what, unfortunate real-life scenarios. Car hi- Carjackings is another scenar- set of scenarios that Krav Maga is, uh, is very practical for and good, good training. And we work outside in the parking lot. And I was going to say, you guys kind of do the role-playing like, thing here and get into yeah. the, as close to the environment as possible for the drills. Yeah, that's, that's great. Absolutely. It is. It is. And boy, I mean, you know, where I don't know, I don't know where else you're going to really go to, to kind of learn about these particular things. You know, the police can't stop and their work and start training people on how to deal with these things. Right. And they're not trained that way anyway. They're trained for armed response to incidents with backup. And, you know, they have a very specific job that they do. Exactly. Um, Sure. And and I am look again, I I can't speak because I have not been to other martial arts studios and I've not really witnessed their training. All my focus has been on Krav Maga. I just don't know. Are there other uh, studios? Are there other disciplines out there training these sorts of and simulating these sorts of uh, real life experiences. Yeah, there are. It's not so much narrowed down by the the style anymore. I mean, I do see police departments and 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 places like that uh, have uh, you know they they tilt towards BJJ right now just because it's mm-hmm. so popular. But it's actually while it's a great grappling art, it's not the kind of thing I'd want to learn if I was a cop because I don't want to get on the ground and wrestle with the guy <laughs> if he has right. five buddies. Yeah, um, that's right. But I've had guys from uh, ATF and Homeland Security and the police come to my classes too, looking for specific elements that fit nicely with that sort of thing. And uh, you know, as far as uh, setting up, you know, we should probably do more of that now that you're talking about it. Um, we do group drills or I do anyway with Bogwa, you know, there's a, a strong element of fighting off groups. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard to do without getting people hurt in those clusters though. So we'll do things like, uh, give everybody a kicking shield and put the monkey in the middle, you oh, know, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that's two, what we'll do. Two and three man sparring drills, that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think, I think there's a lot more of that going on now in the traditional arts too, because I think there was a, a sense out there over the last decade or so that, uh, there needed to be sort of a little bit more of a return to practicality. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of them that still do. I mean, nothing but forms, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and know, those I'm, are still the largest schools typically, but I think it is starting to turn around a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I come from a very, very traditional, um, based system, but at the same time, um, you know, forms is not really where it's at. It's, I mean, we use those to pass on information from one line to another. But in reality, you know, one of my favorites, and, and Dave's been there, is, is the circle of death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, termed affectionately. But I, I'll email you a picture from one of those, Evan. Yeah, oh, ours, is called, yeah ours is called the Ring of Death. Yeah, nice. and starts chanting, Ring of Death. Yeah. <laughs> takes on a, a gladiatorial sort of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, though. Yeah, no, it it is good stuff. And you're right. These um, other studios, and from what I've heard, is that they have had to start to – 
uh, apply more of a mixed martial arts uh, approach to their studios, to their businesses, right? In order to meet with, you know, the, so frankly, the demands of the times. You brought up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Dave, mm -hmm. um, as well. So mixed martial arts and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is also part of the Krav Maga training. Mm. Um, you know, like I said, Krav Maga, it started off as, you know, a foundation of wrestling, boxing, and these sort and these sorts of traditional fighting sports. Right. But it's also taken it. It also has pulled in from many other disciplines. You know, um, Muay Thai, kickboxing, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, a lot of the stuff the MMA um, professionals are using now, and we have brought it into Krav Maga training because, hey, let's face it, the fight. So more often than not, we'll end up on the ground, especially if it's a close combat struggle. Like yeah. you know, you're in mm -hmm. close to Chances are that fight's going to the ground at some point, or you're going to wake up prone on a bed. Someone's over you. <laughs> yeah. You're essentially right. in that position. How do you defend yourself? Mm -hmm. um, MMA. I think the rise of MMA. And certainly the rise in the popularity of Krav Maga, I don't think it's necessarily an accident. You know, I think the two are being lifted by the same sort of tide that has sort of captured the imagination of a lot of people. And the two do fit each other quite nicely, I find. Mm -hmm. So I, I have done some MMA training. I have done a little bit of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and, and I've, I've loved what I've learned so far. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we could, I could go back through our interviews and most of the sort of salty, you know, uh, rough and tumble traditionalists that we've had on are, are pretty adamant that, you know, all their martial arts are mixed martial arts too. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. th there's no such thing as a pure martial art that, you know, popped out of Buddha's forehead and, and came, <laughs> for <laughs> came forward right. down the centuries to you to be the perfect death machine. Well, <laughs> well, right. I mean, you know, there's a reason why we don't fight like we did in the Revolutionary War anymore in which we line our armies up, you know, and load our muskets. And, you know, and then because, it's time to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if things evolve, things change out of necessity, out of outside pressures, internal pressures. There's so many reasons why. And it is important. That's the scientific method. And this mm -hmm. is how science can be applied to something like, you know, the martial arts in which you take uh, new data, new information sets, and you take what you already have and you continue to refine it. You know, you tweak it here, you tweak it there. This works a little bit better than that. This works a little bit better than that. And you go with what works. And that's the beautiful synergy between science and martial arts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Martial arts, I think, is unique is that it is one of those, quote unquote, arts that is scientifically testable, at least up to a point. Yeah. You know? It's hard to test a painting for objective virtue right <laughs> you may you may like that uh, splatter you may not but uh you know with martial arts you can you know up to a point or well, up to death if you're willing to go that far you can test its uh, its uh, workability well and the people in just even in recent history who have kind of gone against the grain and been very vocal about scientific principles um, have also been some of the best uh, martial artists. I mean, Bruce Lee, you know, we know mm -hmm. him. He gets oh, played yeah. out. But very scientific approach to his training, to his teaching, to his, his you know, fitness. everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, several guys in the Japanese arts did the same, you know, type thing. Mm -hmm. And um, and then now, of course, look at them, you know, years later, they're, you know, <laughs> demigods, so to speak, in the world, you know. Yeah. Uh I was watching a documentary recently about Bruce Lee. There are many out there. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing I, I learned from this documentary is how he essentially was the first, um, you know, martial artist to also figure out on his own, not with a laboratory, not with a bunch of scientists behind him, but basically his own trial and error to see what works about nutrition, about nutrition mm -hmm. and how, um, 
how certain foods, certain combinations of foods have certain effects on the body in certain ways. And he was doing things that, frankly, you know, like uh, scientists and laboratories, well, weren't, weren't doing when it comes to um, physical education and, and, and training methodology. He kind of, he kind of blazed a trail there and he should not be underestimated for, for that because it's paid off some incredible uh, scientific dividends, I think. Uh, and he, he really tra- trailblazed that work and he should be credited for that. Definitely. Absolutely. Now, do you know offhand, uh, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. Do you know offhand of anything <laughs> specifically that was, uh, that was, uh, an idea that was originated with Bruce Lee that may have been tested? Do I could go look up the paper on PubMed or something? I don't know. I, I I don't know specifically off the top of my head. One thing they did talk about was essentially um, he had to come up because there wasn't a market for these protein powder drinks and other uh, su- uh, certain supplements, supplement nutritional supplements, and these things you would take. He basically had to invent his own. So he made these. Own, he's made his own concoctions of his own blenders, and he had this sort of. You know, and he came up with this kind of drink and this kind of energy drink and that kind of energy drink. I mean, and now. I mean, we're in a world in which energy drink is, you know, such a ubiquitous sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then so and so many different levels, and there's a lot of garbage out there, sugar yeah. water also, all over, but, yeah. right? But there's, but there are also things that do have real, um, you know, nutrition nutritional benefits in in certain sense when when properly used, mm-hmm. and uh, he he's was the first one apparently because there seemed to be no records for anyone prior to him of coming up with the concept of um, nu- nutrition via energy drinks, protein drinks, and these sorts of things. So huh, he kind of pioneered that. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody at that time except maybe some of the elite bodybuilders were doing anything like that. Um, Jack LaLanne got really good at it afterwards, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, LaLanne. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a freak of nature, too. But Oh, gosh, he hit the gen- – as, as Pendulette once said, he hit the genetic jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, no doubt about that. He had – you know, yes, he, he did all the hard work and no doubt about it, but – you know, he couldn't have gotten to the levels he could have without the the genes, frankly, that 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 he had uh, in order to. Uh, and he made the most of it. Uh, Absolutely, so he, should, he should be lauded for that. And uh, yeah, so Jack Lane certainly one of the also one of the pioneers. No, it's it's great to see someone who lives to be ninety and is in great shape, and not the person oh, yeah. who lives to be ninety or a hundred is like, Miserable. oh no, I smoke cigarettes and had a shot of whiskey <laughs> every day. You know, <laughs> that was right. my plan. It's your genetics, damn it! But this guy could still pull a tugboat on his 80th birthday oh, swimming. You know, amazing. <laughs> well, uh, I know the interview's gone on a little bit long, so I just have a couple more questions for you before we finish up. If you got a little sure. little more time, I do. Um, do you have any favorite scams that uh, that target athletes or martial artists in general? Um, I know my favorite one right now uh, is the the pure power mouthpiece or the magic mouth yeah, guard. Have you seen those things? What is this? Oh, I don't even know what this is. Yeah, well, there are companies out there. The, um, the one you mentioned, David, there are others, and um, they are creating these mouth guards, which they say that a lot of science and a lot of uh, research has gone into, in which you can uh, get a increased enhancement of your abilities to do sing- things such as jump and have overall strength and mm-hmm. endurance. And they're claiming that it's the mouth guard that is offering or is the reason behind uh, these enha- these particular enhancements. These are the claims that these mouth guard companies like, are making. Why? Uh, <laughs> well, that's a I good question. It. I went to their website and there's page after page of more or less the same material repeated over and over without yeah. a single actual citation. That's right. But That's right. Go ahead. 
why is the exact question? Why are they? Why are they saying this? Yeah. Well, it, it, there's full born every minute. It. Yeah. It's, beca- it's because they it, two reasons. You know, they certainly are in the business of selling their product. They have to do that. And the other reason is they believe that it's true. But but there's a problem because what they are doing is they are referring to. A study, um, one study in particular, Rutgers University study. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, uh, which supposedly touts the performance enhancements of high-priced mouthguards. And apparently, it's the only study. I think two thousand eight, two thousand nine is when this was, this study was done. That that they all point to, and they say, "Here's the evidence." You don't believe me? Go to the Rutgers University. <laughs> we have one study. Yeah, we, yeah, we basically. Well, so there's <laughs> your problem. First of all, right. one right. one study. There is not a body of study on this that that, that has come through for, so far that we can really try to get a determination what's really going on here. Um, and if you look at the study, okay, so let's let's take them at their words. You look at the study, what do you see? Well, it's mixed results, and they were not definitive results is the right. bottom line. Um, what was happening is there you got, uh, you got this basically statistically insignificant increase in jumping ability and strength enhancement. And we're talking like per- thousands of a percentage point right. uh, of a difference. And and they point to that study as, oh, yeah, there it is. There's the difference between the two. That's just and ridiculous. Certain, and and uh, something that, that minuscule is certainly not statistically insignificant. It's considered noise. And noise in the data, yeah. Noise in the data. <laughs> and let alone to be able to try to make some sort of clinical um, – claim about your product is, is frankly, you know, just uh, irresponsible at best, I think. Because, you know, when you say that, yeah, put in our mouth guard and you can en- enhance your jumping abilities and enhancing your strength and enhance your endurance, you know, you are, you're saying basically clinical, clinical things, I think, at that point. Yeah, you're making um, real claims. And I mean, are they saying that there's some sort of uh, protein like la- lining in there or no. something, or it's just the magic of their Plastic folding. I mean, what? It- All right. What the deal with? Uh, anyway, the the couple that I researched is as opposed to where you get a normal mouthpiece and you boil it and you form it to your own teeth. Yeah. Right. This one is set up to guide your jaw to just the perfect alignment. Uh, okay. So that yeah. it's more yeah. structurally sound and your whole body is magically stronger. That therefore. Right. Right. No. It puts you. It puts you into perfect alignment, and her alignment is one of the things we talk about on the Skeptics Guide quite a bit. It's kind of a catch-all phrase, and a little red flag should go up in your brain when you hear when you hear things like you know alignment, when you hear things like balance, when you hear things like you know certainly energy alignment or energy balance in in with that. These are the when you become a skeptic, you know, you start to pick up these little things, and you realize that wow, it's. It's in a lot of different things that people out there are making claims about. And yeah. How do you know which ones are right, and how do you know which ones aren't? And that's kind of what our show does. It help, helps people, you know, figure out what's kind of kind of to separate the wheat from the chaff, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. When you hear people using marketing type of lingo in their mm-hmm. normal conversations about even ideas and stuff like that, that's when to me it's like, no, you're trying to sell me on something, an idea here, right. and why and, should and, you have to do that if the idea is solid? You know. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And when you say sell, guess how much some of these mouth guards sell for? Uh, a lot oh, more no. than the one your mom boiled in the pot for you before football exactly. practice. Upwards yeah. of two thousand dollars. Oh my God! Are you serious? Yep. They this advertise plastic in your mouth for two thousand dollars. Nah, nineteen ninety nine down at Wally. I'm they advertise- got, yeah. <laughs> I got mine for for fourteen ninety nine at Sports Authority. I think, and it works like a charm. I there love you it. go. <laughs> it fits perfectly. It gives me everything I want. Protects. It gives me, me all yes. my magic powers I need. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So what's going on there is effectively a placebo effect in which if there is some sort of effect going on, uh, people are putting the mouth guard in and they think. They think they're getting some sort of benefit. Then, yeah, maybe they will jump that little thousandth of a percent higher based on that. But um, Or maybe they can you know, lift five extra pounds that they that they Because they bought they, into they the mythology. Before The thing right. is, they could have lifted it before. They just weren't psyched up enough, and that gave them a little extra psych to maybe do a little like, – it's like a lucky mouthpiece, basically, is what it is, or your your exactly. socks you don't change before you pitch, you know? And no different than a place- classic placebo effect. Yeah. Placebo and, – and Dave and I sometimes have disagreements on different things. Personally, I think placebo effects are, can be wonderful, you know, because you're making a positive change, but if you're getting it, you know, when the advertising or whatever is said, you know, to give you these magical powers, whatever. And yeah, you might get, you know, some difference. That's great. But you need to figure out how to create that effect on your own without buying into somebody's nonsense. Yeah, that's right. And it's not enti- it's not entirely harmless. I mean, yeah, if you want to right. take a placebo so you think you can jump, you know, an inch higher than the other, there's really not a lot of harm into uh, buying in, buying into that, and going with some sort of yeah. placebo, mostly to your but, wallet. But, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, mostly, to, mostly to your wallet, certainly. But you know, people who who will have a disposition to believe in that sort of effect might also have a disposi- predisposition to believe that. Well, then other things, you know, have my heartburn. Maybe, I, maybe I don't need to be taking all this medicine for oh, my yeah. heartburn. I can just take something else, and and you know, it can start to really affect you in in serious ways, in which you start to ignore real good medical advice, and you start going for other things, which we classify as alternative medical treatments, as opposed to science based medical treatments. Science based medicine is something we uh, promote strongly on the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, and we are yes. uh, we are. Um, basically speak out against the foibles of alternative medicine. And uh, this is one of the little traps people can kind of fall into, right? Little little placebo effect here. Then you're kind of set up to believe a lot of different things. And it becomes hard for people to decide on their own, you know, which ones are really working for them, which ones aren't. So it's not without its dangers. True, true. Yeah, and, and for the most part, any benefits you get are going to be subjective, not objective, which right. is fine if you're just – if you want to feel a little bit better before the game or the That's wrestling right. match. But if it – you know, if, it's something it, you're, if you're getting on. treated for a real disease, then oh, even no. if you feel better walking out of the clinic there or whatever from the naturopath or whatever your deal is, uh, you're not actually doing anything to help it. You're right. You're right. Pain is a, it, pain is almost entirely subjective to a certain degree. Oh yeah, degree. and uh, you know that's that's where you see very very strong placebo effects uh, come into play. On the the more subjective, the more um, likely you are, and it doesn't matter if you're a skeptic or, or whatnot. You're more likely you are to see an effect, a placebo effect at work. Uh, the, again, with the more subjective the thing you're trying to treat is, but yeah. for less subjective things. You know, you have to really, really be careful about that. And most most people don't have the tools on their own to try to really dis- determine uh, what's sort of real in that context and what's not, which is why we always advise uh, our listeners on our show to always consult their doctors and get second opinions and do the real follow-up that they need to do when it comes to matters of health and nutrition. Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, listening to a show like The Skeptic's Guide every week will uh, help you build up your own toolbox for ferreting these things out. We there hope so. Now, on the other hand, you know, uh, it's a martial arts podcast, so I got to yep. drag this back into it. Um, you know, I will sit and, and do qigongs and meditations myself mm-hmm. with my eyes wide open about the fact that I'm performing a placebo effect upon myself. 
mm-hmm. because it feels good. If I'm in a lousy mood, I can do my little ritual, do some deep breathing, which actually that probably does have some biological effect. Relaxation you know? techniques, yeah. absolutely. And, and you know, it's so it works on that level. It's not going to give me the ability to fly or run across the tips of bamboo ever, but <laughs> it might make me live a few years longer if I'm not chronically stressed. You didn't have Dave, enough faith there, Dave. Yeah, see, I know, not see. enough faith. That's my problem. <laughs> it's right. Isn't it a shame that we can't do all those cool things and Crouching Tiger, <laughs> Hidden Dragon? All well, you know, I started things. out in martial arts looking for that. Just like a lot of people do. I wanted it to be true so bad. So I I don't feel like somebody that gave that side short shrift before I gave up on it. Yeah. It's, it's just strange to me because it's, it's still huge out there though. I mean, I encountered it just the other night, man, teaching out at a Wednesday class. And this guy came up and said, what are you guys practicing? You know, I said, Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. Said, oh, you mean like the iron palm and the seven deadly D's and stuff? And like, uh, uh. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nothing like the movies are television. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have anything else, uh, scam wise that martial artists particularly should be watching out for right now before to throw on the fire before we move along? Just, we could talk just in more of a general sense of some of the claims that um, instructors and you know people who are well, frankly, in the business of, of martial arts will the lengths they'll go through to to promote their particular art and you know basically try to get fannies in their studio. Sure. <laughs> so you know the the wonderful thing about living living in the age of the internet <laughs> research that, uh, it's 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 the repository of of the human experience i mean really everything and everything possible is is out there on the internet and uh you can see some of the things that um you know people go through when they are well for example uh learning about uh, a particular discipline of martial arts or researching a studio or something that they want to go to in their town and doing a little background check on things. And they come across certain videos at some times in which there will be people uh, on there and there will be ma- like little advertisements for studios and stuff that will make lots of different claims about being mm-hmm. able to do certain things and show certain things. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, what happens is something that turns out to be much, you know, different than, than, right. than what is advertised out there now I, I don't think i don't think we're uh the first to say that you know you can't believe you know you can't believe advertising you know duh, that's that that that's obvious uh you always have to check these things out yourself you can't just uh, rely on any uh anyone else uh, advertising something to uh to figure out if it's if it's right or not but sometimes you have people out there saying these really really amazing stuff there's a particular (laughs) video that is out there and again it's a filipino martial art of some sort it showed on i'm going back a little bit in 2004 and the name of the show that they featured this one on was called hang on let me find it i think i know what you're talking about mind body and kick-ass moves yep familiar with that show (laughs) No, yeah, I'm familiar with this clip actually. Please describe it, and we'll make sure to link it in the show notes for the listeners. Yeah. So what you what familiar. you've got here is a and forgive me, I I, I don't recall the exact um, uh, particular brand of of martial arts. This I think part. it was some form of kali, but I'm talking off That's the top of my head. Too. Yeah, could, yeah, you're right. Could, could have been kali, but essentially, this master claims that. He can just by you know focusing his energy and going through his rituals and um, going through his mantras and his katas and all the other things that he can do. Correct. He can make his skin so hard 
that he's that you could swing a sword on his arm and you could not cut cut that arm. He would be able to essentially turn his skin into stone, a stone uh, skin effect. Yep. Um, as 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 us. Uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody taking iron body skills again, using metaphors right. and taking it literal. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Exactly. Exactly. So this particular show uh, went and you know researched this guy and uh, put him on the television show, and he did his little, oh, you know, his dance, and he's very impressive, you know, and he's flinging the swords around, his sword around, you know. Mike, the Raiders, the famous Raiders, of the Lost Ark scene. You know, right. the guy was, <laughs> doing his thing, and it's really, really impressive. And this, this, this master is psyching himself up. He's getting to the moment. He's got the sword in one hand, and he's got his left arm extended out. And you can tell he's getting ready. He's getting ready, and he's going to hit himself with this sword, right? Because he believes that he has turned his stone, his skin into stone, and this sword will not cut through. And one, two, three. Here it goes. Whack! Whacks himself in the arm. With the sword, and he cuts himself in the arm. And here down comes the blood. The bone. Yep. Oh. And the guy literally it, ha- it goes into a state of semi shock, if not if not full shock, because you know, then they have to stop and get him off to the hospital so that he doesn't, you know, lose his arm. And then the sad thing is, is he genuinely believed this. He wasn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. He thought he could do that. That's right. He really, really thought he could do it. That How almost sounds like him? he needs to be institutionalized a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I, I don't mean, know about sounds all like that. like a problem, man. I doubt he'll try it again. I bring up this particular uh, example because it's frankly one of the more graphic examples that you can, you can find out there. Mm-hmm. But it'll, in a sense, there uh, there may not be a lot of martial artists and. Um, masters and people who own these studios out there claiming to be able to do things that extreme. But you can sense a certain mindset in certain people in which they're going to they're gonna try to tell you that certain things are possible that are sort of beyond the limits of, of what we understand as sort of classical physics, right. like being yeah. able to turn your skin into stone and these sorts of things. Now, they might not actually do these sorts of things at their studio. Let's pray that they don't. But they'll uh, hint at them to keep you interested and to keep exactly. you on the hook. Exactly. They and hint the- there's something more there to learn, that there's a level of uh, there's a certain s- level of transcendence that you too can achieve in which you can have certain mystical advantage that mm. the rest of the world who doesn't train in this sort of thing is sort of left behind. And I find that to be a very unfortunate um, practice that I, I, I think some of these people do because I, they're, they're cheapening – the real skills and abilities that that they have, they don't need the mumbo jumbo in mm-hmm. order to, right? In order to sell, or or maybe they do, and they really don't know anything. <laughs> well, that's you know, and, all, and all they do have are you know fancy fans to you know sort of wave about and do these yeah. little these little tricks and well, other, and, and yeah, that, that takes me back uh, to Dragon Con. I won't I won't mention the name because oh, I, I honestly I, I can't it. remember it off the top of my head. But a, a couple of, and this guy shows up there every year. And uh, I went to see him a couple of years ago, and I knew James Randi was in the building. I wanted to to drag him in there to give this guy the million-dollar challenge because he put on a perfectly good demonstration of uh, Japanese martial arts, and he executed some – they were authentic techniques he was teaching and stuff I'd seen over and over again before in other places. You know, nothing special but functional and, and good material. And then he proceeded to spend the last 10 minutes of his show with the blindfold on, chopping cucumbers out of his uh, students' hands and telling, mm. you know, the color of the towel apart, you know, 
And magic like, tricks. Yeah, it's that's right. one of the easiest magic tricks in the world to pull off. I mean, you know, if, if you. But of course, it was claimed to his science uh, ninja skill. You know, it was really. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well, to a, yeah, to an unknowing audience, you know, that's that's all you need is you, you just need you just need a certain level of ignorance. I'm not calling anybody ignorant. I'm calling in general a person's ignorance. And in other words, they don't know exactly what they're looking at. And you know, fill in the blank basically at that point. Right. Yeah, if he's going to you know wave his hands. Around around and start to you know guess colors and these sorts of things it's going to show it's it will come off as very impressive to mm-hmm. a person who who doesn't uh, doesn't realize really what's going on and unfortunately that's a lot you know you, you only need a you only need a percentage of your audience to convince right that are going to eventually turn into stu- potential students and customers and clients and so forth yeah that's that's the group that they're targeting and they can be effective in uh, in in, yeah. in using these sorts of uh, uh deceptions to uh, to get people to uh you know, to to sign on to their to to their discipline. Yeah. Well, to the credit of dra- it's credit of the crowd at DragonCon, uh, all the response, all the questions he got afterwards were skeptical. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Even if they didn't know they were being quote unquote skeptical, these people were like, really, come on. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. That's good that some people did, but you know, there was also a a, a quiet. Uh, minority, if nothing else, there that you know sat on their sat on their hands, and we know this from our experience is that they. I guarantee you, some people in that audience went up to that person, that master, afterwards and said, "Wow, that was impressive. Thank you very much. How can I learn more?" Right. Uh, that's always always the case. That's ubiquitous. And again, you know, he he doesn't need to convince everybody. He needs to convince a certain percent of people who can be convinced. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Case. The one thing I I, I got to throw in here, I have a. A unique, uh, I guess, perception on on some of these these topics is that I do have appreciation of the skill of basically what I would consider the con man, um, because I find it to be Im- important and useful. And, and let me let me clarify what I'm talking about is that I and I use this as part of content that I teach in my students is not just how to spot a scam artist, but learning their tactics. In other words. A psychic, if you would, how mm-hmm. to co- how to do a cold read, because mm-hmm. this comes the the same exact thing skills that you use in a cold read are the skills that are going to land you that job when you step in to do an interview. the The things you can pull out from your job interviewer subtly, he doesn't realize it, and all this kind of stuff, so that you can present yourself in a better light. Skills like that, you know, and, and skills of sleight of hand and deception. Um, and uh, yeah, but and knowing a little such. psychology and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, martial arts are essentially doing some of the same things that magicians do, but having to do it on the fly with the potential of getting poked in the eye. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> right. You guys deal with the crowd work a lot. I'm sure you do stuff like, you know, you, you think about, well, if I want to make this guy move over here specifically, then I have to get his hand up so I can grab it. How do I do that? I go for that eye on that side. I want that hand, not either hand, right? You know, and you you learn these little tricks and reactions that you can sort of pull out of people and little gaps in their perception, the same things that magicians will use and try to exploit those. Exactly. But we we try to actually explain what it is rather than saying, watch my superpowers. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That is that is the. One of the keys, uh, I think the honest approach, the upfront approach having shows the most respect for the students. And I think in the end, a uh, majority of people who are potential martial arts students will eventually uh, recognize that. And I think you foster a better, 
uh, relationship with those people. And I, frankly, I think it's better, let's face it, for these people's businesses because when it comes down to it, these are people's businesses. These are, oh, yeah. This is their livelihood. Yeah. And, you know, integrity is a, yeah, a big part of the game, not just in martial arts, but it's true in all of business. And you you need to be respectful of your of your clients in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you, you might be able to impress them with a little trick you know, here and there, but at the same time, you're going to lose that respect and you're going to lose some integrity yourself if you, uh, if, if you take it to certain extremes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, look, we're running up against, uh, I told you I wouldn't take your whole evening and here I am trying to. So uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and start steering this toward the end. But, you know, we, we, we get people on the show and we always like to ask them before we, yeah. we finish the interview. Uh, if you have any feet of clay stories, some humanizing anecdotes from your martial arts training or life that, that you might want to share with us. Yeah, I, I don't have anything. I don't think that would, could be construed as you know funny, haha, hilarious. You know, I try to, <laughs> I, I, I try to, you know, keep keep things light on on the skeptics guide, and you know, a little bit of humor, a little subtle humor here and there, and a pun and a joke, and you know, I'm I'm kind of known for those things on our show. But in regards to this, in regards in regards to the feet of clay um, story, I want to just. Um, recount how I came to martial arts initially and it was you know basically through my daughter who was uh, just uh, in her last year of preschool um, going going into uh, going into kindergarten and this flyer came home with her you know packet of stuff that day it was for this new martial arts studio opening up across the way and we asked her if this was something she wanted to do and you know she again she just turned five years old and she said she did she she said sounds like fun I want to give it a try and she went over there she gave it a try and she uh, is still with it. Um, I don't know. I, I only have one daughter. I've known lots of kids over the course of my life. You know, kids have the attention span of a gnat. Of a gnat. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I think that's becoming an official saying now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my daughter has really found something with this in herself. And it's served as an inspiration to me that, you know, my daughter um, who by all rights has every right to, you know, be a kid on every, on every level and explore so many different things. And she does. But this is, this is kind of the one constant that, you know, has, has been with her and she has stayed with her martial arts training and she really does see set goals for herself. And she sees herself, you know, getting her black belt, uh, in, in a couple of years, which is, which is something that's very, very important to her. And I, I imagine it's important to a lot of other, uh, children out there who have, you know, really learned, found this, rare ability to set goals early in life right mm-hmm. um it's a very adult thing to do so i'm very proud of her in that regard Definitely. and that's and that she's brought myself and my wife who's also an instructor of krav maga so we wow. do it as a fam- we do it as a family nice <laughs> uh event and we've and we've all stuck and we've all stuck with it now, and do you guys have all, one of those family portraits from like Olin Mills where you're all dressed up in your uniforms <laughs> and have your, your size out and stuff? <laughs> we, are, we, we, we don't. We have individual pictures. And w- but the day that, you know, we're each hopefully fortunate enough to, to earn, earn a black belt, all three of us, we promised that we would go and get some real pro- professional. The there you go. Awesome. Stuff, you know, uh, all, all worked up and all of that. But That's it's, cool. um, you know, to find to find an inspiration, you know, you're you're just so proud of your of uh, that that an inspiration like that can come from within your family, not you know, yeah. let alone your, let alone your own offspring, well, and that you can find something to uh, to uh, uh, you know be be proud be proud of. I mean, there's a lot to be proud of. Certainly, with with my daughter, this is one of the most important things I'm very the in my life that that I'm proud of. Uh, and proud of for her, and it's sort of you know again given us that family uh, activity to all do together, and we absolutely love it. So 
I'd like that to be my, my feet of clay story. And hopefully uh, other people out there have similar have similar instances or, or can find something a little bit inspirational in yeah. that. We'll, Kudos we'll take heartwarming over funny anytime. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> We're and, two budding parents over here. We both got little ones, uh, you know, awesome. not that far apart at all, literally. About to be three years old. Yep. So, uh, well, they're already jumping around doing kung fu, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. They, yeah, but uh, you know, I'm I'm sure you guys are going to set them on the on the correct paths, and they're going to have you know uh, a lot of, a lot of fun one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, going forward with with those sorts of things, and that's what my, I think you touched on. That is that is absolutely necessary, and I agree. Um, is learning as early as possible about goal setting, but not just goal setting, the persistence. Uh, you know, to get something done, you know, whether it takes an hour yeah. or a year or, you know, a decade. Working hard and delaying gratif- gratification, uh, you know, for the long term, investing in now for the long term payoff. Mm-hmm. Boy, if a kid learns that from martial arts classes, they've got something they can use everywhere in the rest of their life. Much needed skill. Yep. You bet. And adults could learn to t- could take a lesson from that as mm-hmm. well. And yeah. it's never and it's never too late. Huh. Uh, is is probably the other lesson that I think people can walk away with as well. Never too late to start. Hey, I started when I was thirty eight. You know, with Krav Maga, and uh, there you go. Yeah. You know, I I I certainly knew about goal setting and other things before that, but there are also other things I've learned along the way since my Krav Maga training started, and I I, I don't regret a moment of it, and I look forward to better things in the future. Well, awesome, and that you know that whole story I think speaks not not only well uh, just of your daughter, but it does speak very well of your daughter. But I think it speaks highly of what they're teaching over there. So definitely, I think for a first timer in, you you latched onto something good for yourself and your family there. It sure sounds like it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you uh, you validating that. And uh, <laughs> well, you didn't need us to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's nice to hear. I must admit, absolutely. Well, Evan, this has been fantastic. Uh, I, I was as starstruck by this interview as anything we've done so far, and you've been super great. Uh, uh, thanks for coming on. And is there anything else you want to let people know about before we get off here? Any new projects for the SGU? Uh, contact well, just- anything else? Yeah, I mean, for, for folks who don't know about us yet, and you can find all our information at www.theskepticsguide.org. That is our website. We have a Facebook presence, certainly, Twitter presence. We are on iTunes. We are very, very easy to find, and I would uh, love it for uh, any listeners out there to, you know, give us a try. And uh, I imagine you'll, you'll find something, I think, that we're talking about that, uh, that, that people, that you'll appreciate. Sweet. Yeah, I'll prowl the boards over there from time to time. If you're a martial artist, there are already martial artists, uh, kind of a plenty over there. The occasional thread will pop up on this or that thing, so it's something worth checking into. Yeah, it's true. There is. There's a. There's a. I want to call it a subculture, exactly. But no, there are. There are many uh, martial artists that, that I've spoken to, and other people in in the movement. You know, prominent people as well. Um, Jennifer Roulette is is one of the names. Uh, John Rennie, who is the former. Uh, um, editor of Scientific American. Uh, you know, these are, these are martial artists as well who have mm-hmm. had many decades of uh, training, and it's great to uh, get together with them sometimes and uh, chew the fat when it comes to uh, martial arts stories. And uh, yeah, yeah, definitely we are martial art friendly in the skeptic community, I assure you all. Absolutely. Well, all right. Thanks a million, man. It's been great, and we hope you'll do it again with us one day. Thanks. Definitely. I hope to. Thank you for having me on. We're all connected to each other, biologically, to the Earth, chemically, to the rest of the universe. Atomically. I think nature's imagination is so much greater than man's. He's never gonna let us relax, relax, relax.
where things change all right, but according to patterns, rules, or as we call them, laws of nature. I'm this guy standing on a planet. Really, I'm just a speck. I'm just a speck compared with a star. The planet is just another speck. To think about all of this, to think about the vast emptiness of space. There's billions and billions of stars. Billions and billions of specks. The beauty of a living thing is not the atoms that go into it, but the way those atoms are put together. The cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff. We are away of the cosmos. Okay, folks, we're back. <laughs> that was a that was a lovely interview we had there with Evan Bernstein from the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. What a fantastic guy! Oh yeah, really outstanding. You know, I I know you're a big fan of his and know all sorts of stuff about him. You know, but to be honest, I knew just like two sentences that you told me about him. But um, via this introduction, I had a great time. Um, a really intelligent cat, you know, and, and, uh, knows his stuff and how to, how to present different ideas. And, uh, as you mentioned the other evening, a, a great, uh, communicator, you know? Yeah. Because we discuss stuff like that sometimes and we always wind up in a fight over it, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, knows, he knows how to do it like a champ and, uh, trying Indeed. to take a lesson over here. So that was fantastic. Uh, listeners, you may also notice that, um, that uh, we've re- kind of rejiggered everything over here. That's because we got ambushed by the uh, the ninja families uh, right as yep. we started to do the final segment of the show last night. So we're uh, we're bringing it to you tonight. And Craig is no longer in the room. He's via Skype. So if he if he sounds a little tinny, he did not fall into one of his beer cans and get trapped. <laughs> He's just but on Skype. Since I am really in the same room, you know, it's just you got to you got to see it that way, brother. You know. Yeah. We're all in the same room together. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't let that make you nervous, listeners. <laughs> He's not half as creepy as he sounds. <laughs> that bathroom door about now, aren't you? <laughs> all right. So uh, I guess really the main thing we've got to get to here is the news. The news. Coming to you live from the Starchy Sweatsock Museum in Teaneck, New Jersey. It's news, news, news with your... Oh, go ahead, Craig. <laughs> Be your own boss. Create... No, that's that's the advert again. That's the advert again. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off uh, <laughs> with a little bit of local news, local to us. We're, we're recording out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so I thought I, I'd touch home uh, for our local listeners. Um, we got a martial artist, uh, whose rape case begins October 16th. Uh, this guy, Adrian Spellin, uh, who was running this power kicks martial arts studio, um, in Lithonia is being charged with raping a nine-year-old girl who was a student of his, um, basically from about, uh, where we got May 23rd to June 3rd, uh, back in, uh, 
2011 last year. So, you know, that kind of takes me off because that's a range of dates, which means it was multiple times. Yeah, um, or allegedly anyway, this is still before trial. So I guess we should be a little bit qualifying about this True indeed. and drop the allegedly and occasionally on these. Yeah. And, he, and the guys, he's uh, denies the charges. So, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, he's, he's been in jail since April 9th and, um, the superior court judge revoked his bond, um, after the alleged victim's uncle spotted Spellin at the studio, um, where children were present. And at the time he was, um, out of jail on a hundred grand bond and ordered not to have contact with children under the age of 16. So he doesn't have, you know, everything going for him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not looking good. It, it, you know, this takes me back to the, to the interview. Well, I think one thing we could carry away from that is the best possible scenario is if you get your child into martial arts, you should be involved. You don't necessarily have to be in the gym doing it with them if it's not something that you can or want to do. But these are not daycare centers in the in the classical sense. Just dropping your kid off and leaving them is and never finding out, you know, what's going on or finding out what kind of people they're interacting with. It can be risky, folks. It can be risky. All right, Craig. It is. Yeah. <laughs> It really is, and we, as we've seen in many news stories, and this keeps cropping up. You know, and yeah. it's often underage. You know, children that get involved in this sort of thing. It's all too often. Yeah. It's well, all. your kids are impressionable. You know, mm-hmm. that's why you need to, even if they don't want daddy or mommy looking over their shoulder, you need to make sure that you're doing your ninja detective work. If not, jumping right into the class with them. What the heck? You might get healthy. What are you exactly. going to do? Go home and watch TV and eat potato chips? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what i was planning on <laughs> hey a, a family that kicks together is a family that sticks together that's right brother <laughs> um so yeah another another sad story from atlanta georgia i'm telling you i'm telling you well let's pick things up a little bit okay and who better than do that than good old chuck <laughs> the one and only chuck and i'm not talking none chuck i'm talking all the chuck so much chuck <laughs> folks that they wanted to name a bridge after him uh in a slovakian country oh Uh, what is it with the like eastern europe they got the bruce lee statue they want the chuck norris bridge (laughs) (laughs) what's next like the van damme tunnel to brussels or the you know the the seagal shopping mall (laughs) is that a chopping mall yeah (laughs) Oh, boy. You get your ponytail weave down there. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Luckily, though, um, even they had a they had like this online poll for for the local residents of this area, um, you know, to, to choose the name of the bridge. And it's an important bridge because um, it, it spanned the Morava River and Slovakia's border with Austria. Um during the time people were being killed, attempting to escape, you know, the Eastern Bloc and communism and kind of little wars and whatnot that's been going on over there. And so it's kind of, a, you know, a memorial type thing. So you had um, Freedom Bridge. We had Davinska Cycling Bridge, uh, Maria, Teresa, you know, uh, all, all kinds of different respectful names. But 
<clears throat> the one of the choices were was other, and if you clicked other, then you had to put in the name, and then that choice would stay, so everybody else could you know click on it. Right. So somebody early on put up other Chuck Norris, and the <laughs> uh, the entirety of like the people the, of this vote, right? Voted for Chuck Norris. It got twelve thousand five hundred ninety-nine votes. Now, see, this is like the the problem here, and I don't know if these people where this thing is getting these votes actually want that. This could be I, purely an internet phenomena. It's I an online know. poll, you know. And yeah, we, yeah, we've been talking skepticism. I'll just mention quickly. Uh, PZ Myers has a blog that loves to go out. He has a lot. He has a lot of readers, and they love to go out and just crush polls. Like it's an atheist blog, so they're they're going to fundamentalist websites that ask you know questions like should gays be allowed to breathe, and and they <laughs> crush those polls, right. and they can do it because it's open to anyone on the internet. There's nothing scientific about it, you know. It's just wild west. A meme gets started, right? Well, you know who who knows you know what happened there, um, but it's just it's just crazy, you know. Um, they finally uh, the the assembly uh, choice kind of you know said well regardless of these ridiculous numbers uh, <laughs> they decide on the freedom cycling bridge okay that's better yeah name uh, it after somebody that died there or you know some fun it, outdoor activity but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could very well be correct because the the actual the one they selected freedom cycling bridge only got 457 votes mm-hmm. not 457,000 anything like that chuck got like 12,599 somebody saw that on the web and they put out a tweet and 10,000 of their buddies went over there and clicked on chuck norris you know what i don't think so chuck is that badass chuck he- norris clicked once and 10,000 <laughs> popped up <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, Hi-ya. Hi-ya to that. <laughs> tell you what. All right. What else you got for us there, Craig? Oh, I got a good one. I got a, I, I got a good one for you. Um, we had we have this fella um, who um, is pleading guilty, finally. Uh, this mixed martial artist who got um, just high off his kite on, on let's see, what'd they say? Uh Oh, I took that once. I've never been the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, no, just, just on shrooms, let's see. Yeah, shrooms. He and his buddy uh, <laughs> hanging at the house and, and got high as a kite on shrooms and believed they were in uh, the battle between the God and the devil. And Ooh. Good and evil. They took what uh, Bill Hicks and before him Terrence McKenna would refer to as an heroic dose. Exactly. (laughs) Go, buddy. The guy who's pleading guilty. um, Well, now wait. What happened? Is pleading guilty to murder because in this little battle he won. He did. He kind of um, removed the dude's face and took his heart out uh, and cut off the guy's tongue as well. And uh, so, yeah, that sounds more like bath salts than mushrooms to me. <laughs> I mean, I've never, you know, I've seen some crazy things, but uh, mushrooms, they don't they don't tend to make people violent. I well, guess. I don't know. It, it, well, that is what the it, com- 
witnesses basically said that the two had ingested hallucinogenic mushrooms before the attack. Right. Um, and steroids for three years before that. Yeah, most likely. I mean, <laughs> it's like witnesses. If they were there, then they were probably part of the little crew and they didn't want to say too much to get their own asses in trouble. You know, but yeah, um, this, it, it, the guy's name is Jared Wyatt. Um, he agreed to a plea deal in which he will serve 50 years to life in prison. Uh, his official sentencing is scheduled for the 4th of October. Um, and the, the, the cat who he murdered was his sparring partner, basically a 20 year old, 21 year old guy named Taylor Powell. Um, and this happened about two years ago, back, uh, March 21st, uh, 1st, uh, 2010 but um yeah that was kind of a freaky thing i, I wasn't yeah, prepared for that you know i read the high the headline just uh you know martial artist pleads guilty and then i get to the details and i'm like what the hell man seriously it's yeah like, that's truly bizarre <laughs> yeah. and i mean you know we're making some light of it here but we're, we're definitely sorry for anybody that was involved in that mess but yeah I'll tell you one thing, it, 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 it's looking more and more like, uh, MMA really is a safe sport because I think a lot more MMA guys kill or get killed outside the ring than they ever do in. Yeah. <laughs> and in more bizarre ways, you know, your triangle so, choke is nothing compared to my sacrificial Aztec <laughs> dagger, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, true indeed. True oh, indeed. God. Anyway, all this sort of thing. It's, it's, it's a crazy messed up world. Didn't want to leave on a, on a bad note with the news. So bring in another little interesting tidbit. Um, Dave Jones, personal favorite, uh, book publisher, uh, Shambhala publications. Oh, get off. (laughs) (laughs) I've read a bunch of their stuff back in the day. I I absolutely did. But there, they also have quite a bit of that, you know, Kumbaya, my lord. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't read it well, so much anymore, but. Yeah. Well, for me, it's just the sacred text, you know. Yeah. You can get that stuff reprinted <laughs> in a lot of places. <laughs> well, uh, they do do reprints of things like Dao Te Ching and, you know, whatever. So I thought that's what you were referring to. Not just being a jackass like normal. Mm-hmm. No, but this is actually interesting. They're uh, they're releasing a a, a graphic novel version of the book of five rings um should be coming out and it's uh it looks pretty cool uh from what from what i've seen on online some of the little clips of it and all this good stuff um but yeah this is a book if you're unfamiliar it was originally written by miyamoto musashi the uh samurai folk way back when um created a style and there's all kinds of movies about him it's same it's musashi you know that guy mm-hmm and um it's 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 going to be pretty darn decent um <clears throat> we've got i'm trying to see his uh his name Sean Michael Wilson um is kind of the main uh guy here he's adapt- adapting William Scott Wilson's English translation of the original novel um and then you have a london based uh japanese artist Chia Kutsuwara uh who did Hagakure, the Code of the Samurai, uh, as well as manga Shakespeare, um, is doing the illustration, and it's 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 got a nice a nice to it, really. It's pretty cool stuff. But the paperback version is going to be out um, basically around November, early November, um, and it's going to 
come out at fourteen ninety five. Hardcover version is going to be eighteen ninety five, um, and all that good stuff. Yeah, cool. I I, I think you know the, the books and other stuff pop up often enough here that uh, maybe we should start reviewing some of these before we talk about them. You know what I'm saying? Huh? Okay, I lost you there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at these pictures of the of the the thing. Well, they must be pretty good. You'll have to put them in the show notes so me and our lovely listeners can check them out for ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we should definitely uh, get some more media going up in here. Maybe yes, break that off into its own little segment. Yeah. But right now we're calling media mop-up something different, though. Well, we've only done movies there. I think we can expand that segment to, to include I, some yeah. books and other stuff. Because it's not the movie mop-up, is it, Dave? No, it's not. It's the media mop-up. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it is. And by friend. the way, uh, if you guys are wondering why you haven't seen one of those in a while, uh, I <laughs> it's coming up on Halloween. I'm watching zombie movies, people. Get over it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I watch zombie movies. Exactly. <laughs> A zombie movie, brother. I, I do love, love a good it. zombie movie. Um, so, uh, no, but we're about to do a, a nice episode uh, coming up in October. God, Craig, stop it. <laughs> coming in Oct- up in October, we're going to do a, a whole episode virtually dedicated to a medium mop-up. We're going we're gonna to try to take on a chunk of film. I think we're looking at like this, the Shaw Brothers uh, era stuff and take that kind of as a piece and maybe some mid to late 80s stuff. And well, Hey, hey, yeah. you know what you need to do? You need to let me know ahead of time and I'll just crash on your couch and we'll just have a marathon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How about I just give you a list and some discs? <laughs> He's like, I don't want you on my couch. <laughs> I could tell a story about what happened once on my couch with you, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to save that for a swap and paint one day. <laughs> <laughs> that is too mean, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dangle that over your head because you, oh, never, <clears throat> never mind. <clears throat> uh, anyway, <laughs> no, folks, it's not exactly what you're probably thinking it is, but it's bad enough. Uh <laughs> So, uh, coming up, we got October, one of my favorite months of the year. Probably, it's definitely my favorite month of the year. <laughs> Come on, now, who am I kidding? Um, we got some great interviews coming up. We've got uh, Michael DeMarco uh, at some point in October. He's the uh, was the editor in chief of the Journal of Asian Martial Arts. Wow, which there's a lot wow. to talk about there. He's going to be hitting there, brother. Yeah, he's going to come on and talk with us. And uh, Slam and Sambo Steve, Stephen Kepfer, hey. he's going to come back on and do a segment for us uh, with some uh, MMA yeah. updates. So, uh, yes, all you MMA martial arts listeners, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to cater to you too. It's not just a bunch of traditionalists sitting around wanking anymore. <laughs> and, anymore. Yeah. Hey, Dave, I'm wondering, uh, is there anything in that mailbag of there? Hmm. No, you know what? Actually, I'm saving the mail for next time. Cause we've really only got one letter in the mailbag and I like to rustle around. I hear you. So I need at least two or three more mails or snail or whatever you got people yeah that's right for us yeah or voice email uh just record a little mp3 and send it and we'll use it as long as it doesn't sound like a chainsaw dropping down a well actually that would be pretty cool i'd use that too Um, ones of them time and differently yeah so uh go ahead let us know what you think let us know what you think about this episode or any episode of high out podcast um 
And, uh, yeah. Yeah, keep the feedback coming, folks. We love it. Yep. Get out there. Rate review on iTunes. Mailbag at highyapodcast.com. Uh, what else? Anything else, Greg? At the Facebook, you can hit us up on the Facebook, become a fan, like us, interact with us there, um, and with the other listeners, you know, get to know who else is uh, a fan by by joining our group. It's pretty much the only other way, and you can interact with each other as well. Yeah, we've got a smart few people on there now. It's picking up. So uh, mm-hmm. come on and see who else is crazy enough to listen to this podcast. All right, folks, uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up in the next month, so we hope you'll stick around and enjoy it with us. And again, thanks to our guest, Evan Bernstein. That was fantastic, Definitely. too. This is just getting better by the minute, man. Loving it. It sure is. All right, lots of big news coming up, too, so stay tuned. Uh, Craig, let's give him a big old hiya. Uh, you never do it. See ya till next week. See ya. <laughs> good night, folks. The only podcast that thinks Chihuahua is a...